Good morning, and welcome to Diversions, another great day here in the Uncompahgre Valley and on the western slope of Colorado. My name is Mark Catlin. I'll be your host here on KUBC 580 AM. You know, they get us on the air, but let's talk about the people who keep us on the air. Producers Co-op here in Montrose and Olathe. You know where they are, right on Main Street. You know, they've got everything you need for your ag operation, regardless how big you are or how small you are. Drive up to the door, walk in, the first question they'll ask you is, can I help you? And they mean that. You know, after they've found what you're needing and what you're wanting for your operation, they'll load it in your pickup, or if it's too big, they'll bring it out there to your place. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're farming in the backyard or if you're farming most of the, of the Uncompahgre Valley, they've got what you need for your ag operation. They're great people taking care of a great place. Go by and say hello. Thank them for sponsoring Diversions. Turner Automotive, your General Motors and Chevrolet dealership here in the Uncompahgre Valley. You know, they also have Toyotas and all the other world-class brands. But right here at home, Ross Turner and his people will help you buy a car rather than sell you a car. That's a big deal in my world. You know, they want to help you. Ross Turner is a great guy. He's hired some great people out there. And you know, his service department is bar none. It's the best I've ever dealt with. So if you need something in the automobile world, Turner Automotive is the place you ought to go, regardless if you're looking for a new one or a used one, or if you need yours worked on. Turner Automotive, they've been with us a long time. Thank them for sponsoring us. Leadership Circle. They created that shopping center south of Montrose. They've learned an awful lot of things in their travels around this country. They've built a lot of things around the world, and they've brought what they've learned home. So if you're looking for a place to live, take a drive around the edges of town. You'll find some very fine subdivisions and places that you'd like to live. Believe me, Leadership Circle is world class. Mesa Storage has been storing mice treasures ever since I realized they were treasures. You know, I've got a storage uh, place down there that's plumb full. Stuff I just can't get rid of, so I keep it there, and they take great care of it. You know, it's, it's fenced and lighted and secured every night, but the big deal is it's open every day from dawn until dusk. Ron and Pam Brown take care of that place just like they would take care of, of, of their home. They make sure that your goods and your, and your stuff is safe and well taken care of. The place is clean, well cared for. Ron and Pam Brown are good people. They're the kind of people that I like to call friends. You'll call them friends after you've rented a place for, from them because they do take care of you. They'll take good care of you. Good people, good neighbors, good patriots. If you need a place to store, that's where, that's where I'd go. Scott's Printing's been printing everything I've ever asked him to print. They've, they've done some amazing things for me. They're printing signs. They're doing all kinds of things for me now. But Scott's Printing are professionals. They're the kind of people when you walk through the door, the first question they say is, can I help you? And they sit down at the computer, start doing graphics, showing you what the image is that you wanted to present. It doesn't. They'll help you with it. You don't have to just take what your computer will show you on the online. These folks are artists, and they will help you present the image that you want to present. They're, they're really nice people. Go by, say hello, and thank them for sponsoring Diversions. We can't do it without them. Well, today we're going to have a good show. I'm, I'm really positive of that. We're going to be talking about forests and forest health. We started that conversation, oh, I guess about a month ago or so. And, uh, we, you know, we've got the state forester, um, the director of the Colorado State Forest Service. is going to be on air with us here in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the health of, the, of Colorado's forests. You know, there seems to be some confusion about what the forest is and who's handling it, who's in charge of it. You know, there's federals, there's national forests, there's state forests, but all of them are needing some help. So believe me, we're about to have this guy on the air, so stand by. Good morning, and welcome to the air. You're on Diversions. Good morning, Mark. This is Mike Lester from the Colorado State Forest Service. Hello, Mike Lester. Stand by for a minute. Let me brag on you a little bit. All right. This morning's guest is Mike Lester, who's the state forester of the state of Colorado and the director of the Colorado Forest Service. You know, he's got a big job, but he's all over the state. I appreciate you taking some time out this morning to be our guest here on Diversions. Welcome to the show, Mike Lester. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm hoping you are. Uh, how are things in Fort Collins? 
Well, I have to say, it's raining, and it's a beautiful sight. <laughs> well, good for you. It's pretty dry and tight over here, I'm telling you, boy. It's, uh, we're surf- certainly in the drought, no doubt. I know you guys are, too. But it's good to hear that rain's happening somewhere in Colorado. So you're, re- you're probably a little refreshed this morning, right? Well, you know, it's, uh, I love those sunny skies, but we get plenty of that. So those days when we get rain... We sure do need it. Yeah, we do. And you would know. You've spent a lot of time up in the mountains. You know what's going on with our forests. I've got a few questions that I want to just kind of address real quickly so that the people that are listening understand how how Colorado State's forests work. How big is the Colorado State Forest? We have about 24.5 million acres of forest in Colorado. It's a, it's a pretty good chunk of our, uh, of our land base. Well, it certainly is. So... How does the state of Colorado interface with the national forest? A lot of people are confused about what you do versus what the national forest does. Can you just kind of walk us through how the state of Colorado works with the federal government? Sure, I'd be glad to. It, I know they're, they're one of our most important partners, and we kind of split up what we do. Um, so in Colorado, about 65% of our forest land is, is federally managed or owned. And that breaks up mostly into the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. Now, about 30% of our forests are privately owned, and that's where we spend most of our attention. But we work with the U.S. Forest Service on a pretty regular basis. I was just meeting with the regional forest, Brian Fairby, on Thursday, for example. So it's a, it's a pretty close relationship, and it's getting closer as time goes on. We, we're talking about doing planning together trying to figure out what each of us are trying to do so we can complement each other. So I, it's a pretty important relationship, but we do have distinct jobs. Well, I know that. and I, So when you start to talk about private land that's forested, can those landowners contact you and help uh, and get some ideas about management of trees and land and water and all those kind of things? Or is that where you interface with the public the most? Well, not only can they, we really hope that they do. That, that's, you know, we're here to serve folks in Colorado. And so if they've got questions about their land, we have uh, 15 field offices across the state. But if you call the central office, we'll, we'll find the right office for you. Um, no, that's our goal. We really want to work with private landowners because, again, 30% of the land, that's a large chunk of land. That's just over 7 million acres. So private landowners have a big impact on the health of Colorado's forests. Well, they really do, and there's an interface between that private land and federal lands too, right, to where that's one of the places that we were trying to, well, I guess increase cooperation and those kind of things? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm meeting with one of the uh, four supervisors here next week because he wants to talk about how we can more closely integrate the work he's doing on the national forest with the work we're doing on private land. And this is becoming more and more common. this is a truism in natural resources that you'll never have enough money, you'll never have enough people, so you better use what you have wisely. And we do that through cooperation. So when you talk about cooperation, I, I, I'm familiar with a little bit a program called the Good Neighbor Program, and that's between the state of Colorado and the National Forest, right? That is correct. That was in the, in the last Farm Bill. The Good Neighbor Authority gives us the ability and cooperation with the U.S. Forest Service, and talking about leveraging all those resources, gives us the ability to work on land on the national forest side. Now, as a state agency, you know, we limit ourselves to working where we have the uh, what's called the wildland urban interface, although I really hate that name. Yeah, and, the WUI. You know, that's the WUI. <laughs> yeah. um, it implies that we go right from downtown Denver into the forest. I think it's a little more subtle than that. Yeah. But that's we're going to work there, and also where we have uh, – Lands have big impact on municipal watersheds. We're focusing there as well. You know, that's something that, you know, Diversions is a, is a show about water, basically. Uh, that's how it got its start, and we talk about water almost every week. But healthy forests are key to the water supply in the state of Colorado. And I don't think a lot of people draw the distinction that forests are where our waters are all held. I mean, you know, during the winter, that's where the snow is, that, and, you know, they let it run down off of the mountains so how about our forests what kind of health are we really in you know there are people worrying about seeing dead trees down trees all of the things that we see from the highway but i think our forests are starting to be getting a lot more attention than they did in the past 
Well, I, I, I hope that's true. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous resource for us in Colorado. And I'd like to tell you that everything's going really well with the health of our forest, but that's not exactly the case. Right. Out of that 24.5 million acres I talked about, we've got roughly 5 million acres with some serious mortality on them. Um, and it's something that uh, it's, it's, been, it's been coming for a while, and we're trying to put as much effort as we can into it. Because you're right, the link between water and healthy forests, it's, it's an absolute link. And not much water flows into Colorado. Um, most of it we produce here in our mountains, and it flows out. There's, uh, if we include Colorado, there's about 19 states in the, in the country of Mexico to get water from our mountains. So the health of our forests and the way that deals with that is really, really important. Well, and we're seeing a lot more work with uh, a lot of the water utilities. Uh, they're getting engaged in this. They're investing money in it because they realize when we have these really intense fires, their reservoirs fill up with silt. And cleaning out a reservoir is no easy task. No, there's not a lot more rules than the guy would think about that, plus the expanse. So yeah, when well, I was we, talking, we, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, no, when, when we start talking about forest health, a lot of people will automatically think about, you know, the dying trees, the number of different bugs, and all those kind of things. But a healthy forest has a lot more functions than that. I, You know, I think that a lot of folks want to think they just look at them and that's all they got to do to take care of them is just look at them and leave them alone. That could be the worst thing that we could do. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, we're, we're thrilled that people look at them and we're thrilled that people come from out of state to, to look at our forests. That's, a, that's, a, that's something we have that we offer the nation that nobody has quite as good as we do. But forests serve a, serve a whole lot more functions than that. We just talked about clean water. Both... Um, Quality, definitely quality, and quantity to an extent that, you know, our forested landscapes, they really hold that snowpack a lot longer and release that water more slowly, more gradually, so there's a huge impact there. You think about forest products, you think about wildlife habitat. Uh, we've got uh, clean air, for our forests give us clean air, recreation, so they're, they're a huge asset to Colorado, and like I say, they're, they're not in great shape. We're trying to take what steps we can, but you know, our our situation in Colorado is, well, I wouldn't say Colorado, the interior Rockies is different than other parts of the country. And in that, I'm talking about our forest products markets, which are pretty essential and are not that robust in Colorado. You know, you mentioned that earlier when we talked to before. I guess I'm not following with you. You know, our, we've got a lumber mill here in, in Montrose, and they're wanting more and more wood all the time. So when you say products are not... The, the market's not strong for farm, for uh, forest products? Well, here's the thing about being in Montrose. You happen to have the largest, most efficient mill we have in the state of Colorado. Right. So you have the prime example of what we'd like to see elsewhere across the state. So it gives you kind of a, a, a view of what things could be if we had a little bit more of that around the state. But our forest products don't aren't worth a lot monetarily, and so you can't transport them very far before they're not worth anything from a monetary standpoint, I get from it. a monetary standpoint. And so in certain parts of the state, um, sawmill will take, some sawmills will take certain species and not other species. Uh, some sawmills are really focused on smaller diameter wood and some on a little bit larger diameter wood. And so it's really easy to say, if you look at total capacity of our mills in Colorado, we have more capacity than we have wood coming in. So you would say from that, you go, Oh man, we have you know we have plenty of capacity, but once you start breaking it down on distance to market, different species and what those mills are looking for, it's not quite the same story as it is when you look at it the state as a whole. So Montrose Forest Products, man, that is that is a very efficient, very well run facility, and they could use more wood. We've got other areas on the Front Range, for example, that you can plug a mill up with uh, three truckloads of wood. So it's a it's the way the mills are distributed across the state that causes the problem more than anything else. Well, I, I understand that. So after they've turned that, that log into, uh, you know, uh, studs and all the things that we build properties with, is, it, is there a, an increase in demand on that side? I mean, we're, we're seeing buildings, houses coming up out of the ground everywhere you look over here. And I think on well, your I, side of the mountain, too. Yeah, we're, I mean, you know, Colorado's is... It's growing by leaps and bounds, so you, you certainly see that that use. But one of the issues that we have, and this is one of the reasons why we're using good neighbor authority with our federal partners, 
that issue in, in the interior Rockies for us, Wyoming, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, about the lack of value of our forest products, that means that trying to treat our lands, we have a situation here where if you're a landowner and you're too far from the mill and you want to make your forest healthier, you're going to pay a logger to take that wood off your land. Now, if you run up to Oregon, those loggers will give landowners a fair amount of money for that wood. So that's, that's the market dynamic that's tough for us here. Okay. So there's, it's an expense. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting to see what you're getting at because, you know, those of us that are not initiated into the forest and forest products, we would think, man, there ought to be lots of demand for, for studs and two-by-eights and all the things that go with building a house, and there is a lot of demand. But what's happened to our forest industry or, you know, the loggers, and, and not only the loggers, but the mills and all those things, is that because we didn't log for so long that most of those little ones went away and uh, they're not in business anymore, so they're scattered way out? I think that's part, that's part of it. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of things going on in our, in our woods that have changed things from the way the woods naturally evolved. For example, um, fire is an important part of our forest ecosystem. It just, it's always been part of it. But once we suppressed fire, we went from having light to medium-intensity fires having much more intense fires and much more damaging fires. Yeah, and, the, and you're absolutely right. We've had, some, uh, we've had some legislation passed in the last 50 years that has made it a little more difficult on federal ground to get that, that wood out of there. And the irony of it is, is as we lost those mills, the ability to get more off had started to decrease. So we're in a situation right, situation right now, if you talk to your U.S. Forest Service representatives in the area, they are doing their darndest to get that wood off of there and return those forests to health. But because they don't have that monetary value, it's a budget issue. They just run out of money. So we're trying to work together as best we can to get that done. But we've got a pretty steep incline there to get things back to where I think we would all feel more comfortable. Well, I'm sure of that. And, you know, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you is after these trees are, are um, attacked by the bugs, and, and you know, I, I, we'll talk about how many different kinds of bugs there are in the state of Colorado. What's, how long is one of those trees have any value after it's died? Well, it, it, you know, that's interesting. That's, I'm not going to get too confusing with this because it is by species. Right. But, but uh, where the wood's pretty dry, they can have value for 10 years or so. Where on north-facing slopes, where it's a little more moist, uh, you know, it could be as little as five years before they start having issues. In some cases, it can be as much as 15 where they have some value. Right. But it, it, it is something you need to get off there fairly quickly because they degrade over time, and the quicker you get them out of the woods, well, the more value you're going to have. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I'm a typical um, of tourist going through the mountains because I don't know anything about I don't know anything about logging. I don't know anything. All I know is the forests look like they're sick. But, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to be aware of is some of these slopes are so steep, I don't know how you would log them. Even if, even if the wood was really valuable, I don't know if you could get a machine in there. Is that one of the problems we're having with these, uh, like you say, Rocky Mountain uh, forests? Well, I think it is. You know, there's, there's always going to be... I'm mean, be careful how I say this because there's always a way to get wood off of any slope, but boy, can it get expensive. Yeah. And so you start with a product that doesn't have a lot of market value to begin with, and you start bringing in helicopters or what they call high-lead high systems you see a lot in Oregon and Washington. That technology is there, but the trees have to be worth it from a monetary standpoint. But, you know, I, I guess, Mark, I look at it as that's true. Some of those steep slopes are tough to get at, and it's hard to make that pay off financially. But we've got a lot more land we can work on, not, to, not including those. So, yeah, I'd like to get to those. But even if we don't get to those, there's a lot more what we call operable land that we could get to. And we could be working on that for the next 50 years. You know, when you talk about like that, with um, all the different, you know, we've got a number of different species, and I want to go through that. But it seems like that we've gotten, uh, there's so many more bugs that are, you know, insects that have attacked our forests. So walk me through the different species that we've got here in the state of Colorado. 
tree no, or trees. bug? Trees. Trees. Yeah. I, I don't want that. bugs. I don't want to talk about bugs too much. I want to talk about what species of trees. Well, we, you know, we, we have um, a lot of ponderosa pine. We have a lot of pinyon and juniper uh, mixed. We have lodgepole pine at the higher elevations, and also the higher elevations we have a lot of spruce and fir trees. So we have mostly conifers, and then, of course, we have our, our iconic aspen trees. So there's not a lot of different species, but there's a lot of variability even within those those species. So you've got your you're basically got your conifers, and unless you get down the plains talking about cottonwoods, your only uh, deciduous trees really in the mountains are aspens, and then cottonwoods down in the lower elevations. So when we when we talk about logging, um, spruce trees, I think they're they're a, that's a hardwood. I mean it's. it's um, Harder than what a pine tree would be, so to speak. So those are the well, studs and like that. Is that how they make that? Well, I, I think you'll find that people make, for example, you use the example of a studs, you know, major part of a house. People in different parts of the country, I mean, you'll see them using most of the species we have. You'll see them using ponderosa pine. Not so much lodgepole, although it's useful for that. Douglas fir, you can see it used for that. Spruce and other fir can be used for that, so... If you would talk to uh, the mill manager over there in Montrose, he would tell you exactly what they're using or exactly what they do. Right. And they've, they've designed a system that works well with... Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that because they're, they're starting to open up and use a couple of different species they haven't used before. But their equipment is, is tuned towards one species. You know, so each mill will have a little bit more of a specialty that way. You, you mentioned something. I, you know, I, I represent... The 58th district over here, which is Dolores County, Montezuma County, and San Miguel, along with Montrose. And I know in Dolores that I think you guys are just opening up some uh, white pine forest that's got um, a different kind of beetle in it, doesn't it? Um, the roundhead, I think, is what it's called. It's, it's a roundheaded pine beetle. And uh, it's, starting to, it's starting to kind of uh, emerge as a, as a threat. I think the interesting thing, Mark, in a lot of these, though, is almost all the species of bugs that we have here, they've always been here. Right. Uh, they're, they're, we do have some invasives. Uh, they've got emerald ash borer uh, out in Boulder County. But for the most part, the damage you're doing to our forests are really from insects that have always been here. But the weather's not quite like it used to be. That's one of the issues. And the forest being thicker than they normally evolved means the trees are not as, a, is not as healthy or not as healthy and not as able to defend themselves from those trees. So those two factors, they are making a difference. Um, I'll give you an example of mountain pine beetle, which is pretty well tamped down right now because they've, well, they've eaten most everything they can. The mountain pine beetle has always been around here, but when we get temperatures at you know 30 to 35 below early in the winter, which when I was younger was not all at all uncommon, that kind of keeps them in check. Never wipes them out, but keeps their numbers lower. If you don't have those temperatures, that's one thing that allows them to grow a little bit more quickly, be a little, have the bug health population be a little more healthy, which is something we probably don't want. Right. So there's been some changes in our forest environments and ecosystems, and those bugs are good at taking advantage of that. You know, you talked about uh, the density of, of these forests. Um, I, I, I know that when they created Blue Mesa Reservoir and some of these reservoirs in the state of Colorado, they calculated the yield that was going to come off of those watersheds. And the, the population of those trees at that time were, you know, in the two or 300 trees per acre. And now we've got places that are five, six, seven hundred trees to the acre. Is that part of the reason those trees are not doing as well? That's absolutely part of the reason. You know, one thing I usually try to explain to people because... Most of us have a garden of some sort, and trees are not like carrots, but I, I just use that to try to explain it. But if you're, if you're growing carrots and you put them two packed together, all you're going to get these little scrawny carrots that aren't worth eating. Now, if you thin them out a little bit, then, then they have more resources per carrot. You get some lot nicer carrots. And that's a simplification for our trees, but it's not all that far off. You know, there's a certain amount of nutrients those trees need, and if there's 600 an acre, each tree's going to have less of those nutrients than, they say, there's 300. Well, and plus with the water that's running off of off the mountain, too. They, they probably are in a drought response, even if you're not in a drought. Well, and, and it, you know, there's a, they all need their basic nutrients. 
And if water is a lending factor, which in a lot of Colorado it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can create drought stress in a tree when there's too many trees working on a limited amount of water. Now, it's not the, the drought stress we're going to see in the southern part of the state this year just from a sheer lack of snow cover. Right. But it, the trees react similarly. Well, I, I can believe that. And, you know, they tell me that the sap in the tree, if they've gotten plenty of, they're hydrated well, then they can push the bug out and, um, you know, get him out of their, out of the wood and, and go ahead and, and be a healthy tree. But if they don't have enough moisture, then they don't, they don't have the sap to take care of themselves. So I suppose that's a big factor too. Oh, it is. It is. One of the ways that our, we'll use pine trees, for example, they defend themselves is, is you're exactly right. It's that pitch, a healthy, vigorous tree. Now, you can overload them with bugs, and they're doing oh, sure. no matter what. But in general, they have a healthy amount of moisture and produce a fair amount of pitch. As those uh, beetles bore in, that pitch can just push them right back out again. But if they're, they don't have that, then you're right. It, it absolutely it impedes that tree's ability to protect itself. You know, I, I have a question for you that I've, I've never really had an answer to. Why did... Why did so many trees come up, and they're all now about the same size, look to be about the same age, and they're way too thick? What happened? Did we, did we not log them? I don't think that could be the only answer. But it seems well, like something happened in nature that nearly every seed that fell on the ground sprouted, and those trees are all about the same size now. Well, what will happen in our different tree species? I'm just going to throw in a little bit. Talk about lodgepole pine because they're very different than ponderosa. Right. Lodgepole usually regenerate from stand clearing fires. So your lodgepole pine stands go usually for 100 to 300 years. They get a big fire and that clears the ground underneath. But also, um, lodgepoles, a lot of them have a type of cone that's kind of glued together and that heat just melts that glue and then that releases the seeds. So lodgepoles always have a pretty thick. We talk about dog hair thickest. They've been around for a while. Right. But our ponderosa pine, which have grown up with frequent fire and a lot more widely spread out, you know, it's a little different for them. So they do best when they have uh, some spacing between the trees. I think this is. This, I think this is funny because the scientists came up with this term, but it's called groupy clumpy. <laughs> so they had groups yeah. and clumps of trees, and that's more natural for, for a ponderosa pine, and they have that thick bark. And so when they have fires running through that thin out that stand, that bark is so thick that it protects the bigger trees there. So in that case, by having too many trees there, instead of those fires being kind of a light to moderate intensity, which they can survive, with all the trees there, when those fires do hit, there's a lot more fuel there, and they burn a lot harder, and they don't react quite as well. Well, yeah, I can I can see that. You know, it looks like there's an incredible amount of fuel in some of these forests. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and talking about that, you know, here we are. We're going to be in as tough a drought as we've been in maybe in, in um, all the time we've been keeping records. So what happens in our forests? Uh, you know, I'm, I know you guys are holding your breath, but do you expect a, a big fire um, year, not season, but year? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I was talking about this with Mike Morgan, who's the director of the Division of Fire Prevention and Control, and they're also one of our, our key partners. And, you know, as we look out, the state's snowpack was very uneven across the state. You go to the northern end, and it was close to normal. Right. And the last snow tail report I saw for the southern part of the state, it was like 18% of normal, which is not good. So that means we're going to have a lot of dry fuels. Now, they need a source of ignition, so we hope folks are careful and we don't have an issue with people careless with campfires or that type of thing. But it's not, it doesn't portend for a good fire season in the southern part of our state with that dry of fuels. So I, I think we're all kind of nervous, and we are urging people to be very careful. Love it that folks spend their time outdoors, but they just need to be careful with campfires and things of that nature. So southern part of the state could have a rough year. Now, having said that, you know, you could have an ignition source in the northern part of the state, and it wouldn't do as well either because, of course, you know, wind is another factor there. But dry fuels, that, that's one that makes you nervous, and I believe we're going to have some dry fuels in the southern part of the state this summer. Well, I'm afraid of that, too. You know, here in Montrose County, I talked to the Mount, uh, to the county sheriff yesterday, told me that they're going to go to stage one, you know, uh, fire warning uh, that on Monday. 
there'll be no outdoor burning here in the Mount Rose County, and I think in the number of the counties that surround us. So, you know, people are out there trying right now to say, listen, be very careful. Don't take any chances with fire. And, uh, you know, that's even down here in the farm country. We're not going to be able to burn ditch. We're not going to be able to do the things that we normally would be doing this time of the year because of such a high fire danger around the whole, the whole western slope of Colorado. So and I know how important that ditch burn is to get water through the crops, but I have to tell you, I, I don't know if we can say this strongly enough, this is going to be a tough year and we want people to be very, very careful. Well, I think that you, I think you find farmers are probably the first ones that will, you know, will try their best to, uh, to fit into that restriction. You know, because it, we all are pretty much aware that even if you're raising onions, you're holding hands with the national forest up there because that's where the water's coming from. And, uh, you know, right now there's just not enough up there to run down off the mountain. So everybody's going to have to be pretty careful. It's going to be an interesting year. I mean, farmers are some of our best conservationists. They know with their connection to the land how important that is. So we're not worried about them so much other than them having enough water for healthy crops. But still, it doesn't hurt to to remind people that fire is a a great tool, but it can be very dangerous. You know, that leads us right into how closely tied forest health and public safety are tied together. I don't think a lot of people understand that that, forest up there it has a lot to do with their public safety and they need to be very careful when they're in our forests too absolutely mark and that's a great point uh, you look at it we, we've been really lucky a lot since the 2013 fire season we've had a couple of big fires but not not like we had when we had wallow canyon or, or black forest or high park where they burned a lot of acres and burned a lot of homes so People can kind of forget about how that danger is still there. And somebody once told me, he said, hope is a really poor plan. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe they're, they're correct. So we are all set up for a large fire. We get high winds. We have dry fuels. And so far, we've been lucky the last few years. But we don't want that to make people complacent because the danger is there, and they do have to be careful. And when those big fires go, all you had to do is look at those pictures of California last year, the State Forester there, Ken Penlott, is a good friend of mine, and you know, he had himself a, a rough year, and they were doing everything the right way. But when you have an ignition source and a wind and dry fuels, people have to get on the move. They have to be evacuated. It becomes a huge public safety issue. Then you have, following that, you have the landslides because we don't have the, our soil stabilized. We have public safety issues there as well. So it's... Um, you know, you don't like to think about it, but you probably need to, that there are some public safety issues that come with these intense wildland fires, not just the fires themselves, but in the aftermath also. Well, you know that interface that you were talking about, wildland-urban interface? Um, boy, I'm telling you I, that the defensible space and those kind of things, does the state forester's office go about trying to show people how they might be able to go to protect their own properties and, and help with those kind of things. That, I think, is one of your big um, outreaches, isn't it? it? It absolutely is. And, of course, there's, if you look at it, we got about 185,000 forest landowners in the state, and there's uh, 107 of us. So we do rely a lot on getting people to our website where we have a lot of instructions there on what you can do about defensible space and working with your neighbors as well because that's a, that's a very important thing to do. And, Making sure your neighbors get involved is important as well. It's kind of like a vaccination. You know, if you're not all vaccinated, then there's a lot of risk for everybody else. So we, we will come out if we can. But, again, there's just not enough of us. So I like folks to rely on our website as well. There's some really great publications that are up on there that can tell, get folks started. And then if they get started and have some questions, we'll, we'll try to get them as best we can. You know, one of the things you might give us real quickly, and before you go, we're going to ask you for your websites and all those kind of things, but over here on in the western slope of Colorado, where is a state forest office that uh, if somebody wanted to walk in, is there someplace over here? Well, we, we have an office in Montrose. Uh, we have one in Grand Junction, and we have one in Durango. So we've uh, we hopefully we've got the west slope fairly well covered. It's an important part of our of our. Uh, of our outreach. Well, I understand that, and I, I do appreciate the fact that you've got some over here. I, You know, as we're talking here today, I, it seems to me like 
there's a big need for partnerships between the state forester, the national forest, the private citizens, those that love the forest, those that want to log the forest. Can you tell me about some of those productive partnerships that you've got out here in, in Colorado? Absolutely. We have a bunch. As a matter of fact, we have a one that I never get this straight, but it's a 232, and that's based in southwest Colorado and northern New Mexico, where we're working with the Mountain Studies Institute out of Durango. We're working with the U.S. Forest Service. NRCS is a, is a partner there. The Nature Conservancy is a partner there. Firewise Colorado is a partner there. And it's been really successful in working with people, and, I, and it's very active in Dolores County. So yeah, there's a lot of people out there who want to do the right thing. And, you know, we, between us and the U.S. Forest Service and NRCS and, and the Department of Natural Resources, we have um, a lot of expertise. And so we're, we're working with those folks, and we find that coming together is absolutely the most effective way. If we don't work together, we're really not going to get much done. And the things that we've done, in the western part of the state have been, I think, very successful. Well, you know, I know there's some people down in Montezuma County, Dolores County, that are really deeply involved with the San Juan Forest, and uh, they, they tell me that they are, they feel like they're making progress in regards to, so, uh, to forest health and, you know, creating these partnerships. So it sounds like it might be working. Well, I, you know, I think it is. I, I, I never want to tell folks we got it solved because... No. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, it's kind of like pushing a heavy boulder on a flat field. It's hard to get any momentum into it if you, if you quit pushing. So we need, to be, we need to be diligent. We need to keep working at it. But I will let to say on the West Slope, we have some very dedicated folks. Um, the U.S. Forest Service, been doing, there's a woman by the name of Patty Champ who's been leading some research efforts around there, working with landowners. It's been very successful. So it truly is a partnership. We are all working together to try to make this happen. And you have to really, you have to really appreciate how much everybody, forest landowners, county agencies, communities, and the state and federal agencies are working together. They realize there's a problem. Resources are tight, but we're doing the best we can with what we have to make sure that we're spending dollars as wisely as we can. Well, I I I, I understand that, and I, uh, you know, I've met some of the folks in your office. Joe Duda was a a guest on the show a month ago or so. I'm, I'm impressed with the people that you've got that I've interacted with. They've they've been very professional. They've been uh, more than helpful. Believe me, they they really do care about the forest, and you can tell just in conversations with them. They really do care, and that's it's got to start there with you guys. They're great staff. I you know they you know I got to tell you they they make us look good because they are they are top notch. Yeah. Well, you know here what. We're going to wrap up here pretty quick, but I just wanted to to talk real quickly with you. Can you give us your um, your website address, and we'll get I that sure out can. before we you know before you go. All right, it's uh, it's CSFS, which stands for Colorado State Forest Service. dot State C O L O S T A T E. dot edu. We're part of our uh, Colorado State University, and. Uh, That'll take you right to our website, and, and across the top, we've got places where you can find field offices, ideas on forest health and management, um, publications, and information about wildfire mitigation, and also about our seedling tree nursery. Okay. Well, I, wa- I wanted to get that. And um, real, can you give us a short list of what people could do this year for forest safety, for their own properties, for, um, you know, what should you be doing when you go to the forest? How are you a safe user of the, of the forests? Well, I, I think um, you really need to be careful about restrictions that are there. I, I know folks get kind of tired of being told what to do, and when you're in the great outdoors, it just doesn't seem like it should be that way. But the fact is some really, really well-educated professionals have looked at those risks, and they're trying to make you safe. So if they've got burn restrictions or there's some suggestions and activities you shouldn't do, like campfires, it really would be helpful if folks would listen to them because once those fires get rolling, they don't care who owns what. Fires really kind of kind of doesn't care. If it's federal land, private land, it's just going to burn. So when you see those restrictions, I, I know it can be annoying, but they're there for a really good reason. You know, since you mentioned fire, 
What is your office's role if and when uh, a fire breaks out in the state of Colorado? Well, we have fire, which we look at as, as like three parts. You know, there's the health of the forest, there's protection of communities, and there's fire suppression. Now, the state forest service works with communities, and we work on the mitigation forest health side of it. And once a fire breaks out, there's a very fine organization called Division of Fire Protection and Control. And it's a statewide organization, part of the Department of Public Safety. Now, when a fire does break out, it's the fire protection district's job first. If it gets a little too hot to handle, then it goes to the sheriff's office. And by that point, the uh, Division of Fire Protection and Control will, will be in contact and, and offer what assistance they can. So we're there to help you have a healthy and safe force. We're there to work with communities. But once that happens, DFDC, uh, Fire Prevention Control folks, full of very fine professionals, they'll, they'll hop into action and, and offer whatever assistance they can. But your fire protection district is the first stop when we have a, a wildland fire breakout. Well, okay, I, uh, you know, and I've got a lot of pride in those folks. Believe me, these local fire districts are pretty, uh, they're on it most of the time. I mean, they, they really do a good job, and I, I'm proud of them. So they're you amazing. guys work hand-in-hand hand with them and, uh, you know, the public safety folks. So it's everybody Absolutely. on the ground, I suppose. We can't do it alone. We all got to work together on it. Well, you know, before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to cover that we haven't talked about? that you can, uh, you know, that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Well, you know, I, I think about it, Mark. We've been pretty wide-ranging this morning. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do want folks to think about their safety and the importance of their force. I mean, our force in Colorado, we are so blessed with the force we have, and they do so much for us. And I just want people not to take that for granted. And think about that when they're, like I say, they're recreating, which we hope they do spending time outdoors, or even working on their property with the defensible space side of things. If they think about that, if they have questions, call our offices, go to our website. But there's a lot of folks out there who are very interested in them having healthy and productive force. And contact any of us, and we'll do what we can to give you, give you a leg up. Well, Mike, it's, always, it's been a really good show. I want you to know it's been a great conversation. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your weekend to come and be our guest on the show. You know, I, I want to thank you a lot for the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, please pass on to your staff that we are impressed with them and we're proud of them. And, um, you know, we'll have you back on. We'll we're, Forest health is a big deal on the western slope of Colorado, regardless if you're a camper or a farmer or a logger. It's, it's a big deal. We need to take good care of them. And I think they're in good hands, sir. Mark, I appreciate that, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to your listeners. And thank you so much for giving us that opportunity, and uh, just be safe out there. We'll do it, Guy. Thank you so much. You go have a good day, and uh, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. You bet. Bye now. Good day. Well, there you have it. Mike Lester, the director of the, state, of the Colorado State Forests, was our guest this morning. He... Um, very conversant with what's going on in the state of Colorado's forests. I, I appreciate him taking time out of his day to come and talk to us. And uh, he left us with a website, and that's csfs.colo.state.edu. Oh, uh, no dot between the Colorado and the state from what I heard. But anyway, if you're interested in forest health or if you're interested in what you could do to help with your own forest land or, you know, where you could be of, of help and of service. You might give them an opportunity. Give them a call. Look them up on their website. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if you don't want to talk about forest health and those kind of things, I'd certainly like to have a call from you. Um, this has been a big, this is a big issue. We, we need to really be aware of what's going on in our forests and what, how much danger we're in right now. With wind blowing at 25 mile an hour and, and humidity at less than 10%, we are setting it up greatly for a terrible fire year, not just a season, but a year. Here we are, we're not even to the end of May, and we're, it's so dry up there now, we're really worried about it. So, you know, we've got, to, we've got to help with each other. You know, if you're in the forest, take good care of it. If you're up there, enjoy it, but follow the rules. And out here on uh, farmland and those kind of things, you know, follow what the, what the officials are saying, follow what the authorities are saying. 
Let's make sure that we can uh, take good care of these natural resources because that's what we are. We're naturally resource-based, uh, and uh, we need to take care of that. Farmers, ranchers, growers, everybody. Let's take good care of it. So i got another phone call coming, so we'll take them put them on air. Welcome to Diversions. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Mark. How you doing? I'm good. And you, sir? I tell you, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, very informative uh, conversation there with the forester. Uh, uh, I think it was very informative and uh, brought a lot of things to the attention of people that, uh, yes, we do live in a beautiful state. That's why they're all coming here. But yeah. uh, we have to be in, we have to be careful and and be thoughtful of our actions out there in the forest and. Uh, I really appreciate the appreciate it today. It was very informative, and uh, uh, it's uh, we all like water and everything, but uh, uh, and you're very very smart about that. But uh, the forest is, is always there too. You bet that forest and is where we store that water before we can use it. So the cheapest place to store it's in a snowbank. So and that's where the forests are up there, taking care of our water for us. So forest health's yes, a big deal. Yeah. Yes, and and you and it was really a balanced uh, thing here. Anyway, uh, you have a nice day, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the call. We appreciate that. We know it's always nice to know you're out there listening. We're all listening. <laughs> have a good day, sir. Thank you, thank you very much. You know, I um, um, I wanted to talk real quickly about the week coming up. There are um, there are a couple of meetings that have, that those of you that are interested in water may want to attend. On Monday night here in Montrose at the Holiday Inn Express, there will be the State of the River meeting about the Gunnison River and the Gunnison Basin. It's put on by the Colorado River District um, as part of their functions. It, um, I went to a meeting this week up in Ridgeway about the Uncompahgre River. It was a very informative river if you, meeting. If you are interested in how much water we're not going to have, this would be a good meeting to attend. It's a place where you can really get to hear from the experts in regards to how much water is available, what, how it's going to be used, where we're going to put the call on, those kind of things. That meeting starts Monday night at 6 p.m. at the Holiday Inn Express. And if you look at the Colorado River District's website, you can also find the agendas and all of the things that will be happening that evening. Then on Wednesday, there's a meeting between the Colorado River District and the Southwestern Water Conservation District. It's a joint meeting that we do on an, on an annual basis, and um, it's a real informative thing. We talk about the issues that are going to impact both those river districts because they both drain into the Colorado River. And the Colorado River's got an awful lot of attention being paid to it today because of this shortage of water up here. You know, the lower basin really thinks that it's your and my responsibility to take care of them, even though they use 1.2 to 1.5 million acre feet more than their allotment. There's a day coming they're not going to be able to do that, and we need to be ready for that because there is a lot of pressure on you folks here in this district, here in this county, to use less water so they can have more. Um, it's getting to be kind of a sorry song that they keep singing out there, that, well, you have to take care of us. Yet the state of Arizona plays the game and they game the system so that they can continue to use more water than really what they've got coming to them. There's a sweet spot that they've been at where they draw their water, then they stop, and that says, okay, we need to send more water to them. And the minute we send more, they start diverting more of it, pumping it underground, putting it in their storage, running it across their lawns. You know, and I'm, I'm beginning to believe that um, bluegrass lawn is it's a great luxury. But in a time of shortage like it is today, it's not that great. You know, it's probably not the best luxury that we could be taken care of. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that argue with me about that. But agriculture is the number one industry in the state of Colorado at this time. We need to take care of agriculture. And the best way we can take care of agriculture is for us to take care of our water. And if you're interested in that, that meeting on Monday night, 6 p.m., Holiday Inn, would be a good place for you to show up. And, you know, there's a lot of information, and then on Wednesday during the day, there's a meeting out at the pavilion in regards to the Colorado River and to the southwestern part of the state of Colorado, 
which are, you know, our very next-door neighbors. So San Miguel and some of those counties are, uh, they drain into the San Miguel River and then down into the Dolores, but the Dolores ends up in the Colorado River, so it's part of the compact. And, though you know, we need to be aware of what we're doing, how much we're sending, and how much we're not going to be able to send this year because you guys that are out there irrigating, you understand what's going to have to happen. Every time we go down 10% in, in deliveries, the, the number of hours of work goes straight up in relationship to that. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, this weekend. This weekend's a big weekend for some of the young people here in the western slope of Colorado. I want to offer my congratulations to the Montrose Senior Graduating Class, along with the Olathe Graduating se Senior Class, and everybody here in the Uncompahgre Valley, Uray, and up into the North Fork, Paonia, Hotchkiss, all those areas up there, Delta. We're proud of you. We're proud that you have made it through the first hurdle in regards to your education. It's the ticket that you need to go on with the rest of your life. Regardless if you go on to higher education or if you go into training for, um, for some of these skilled trade jobs, we are very proud of the fact that you took the time, put in the effort, got the grades, and now are graduating from senior high school. That's a big step. And congratulations from us, from here at, the, at Diversions, and from me personally. We're proud of you. Keep it up. That's just the first step. Here we go. You know, that's a big day, and I want you to all be very careful out there with the celebrations and all the things that go along with those great milestones in our lives. Let's not take, let's not forget. Your lives are the most important thing that we've got in the Uncompahgre Valley and in the state of Colorado and in this nation and in this world. Take good care of yourselves. Be aware. Be careful. Don't go too far out. And if you do, call somebody. They'll come and get you. Mom and Dad will do that, believe me. They're there to help. But anyway, enjoy yourselves, celebrate. Take a look at your future because it's right there on the horizon and it's just waiting for you. So go get it. That's what we want you to do. Go get that future. You know, I want to remind you that Americans are extraordinary people. We are the leader of the world. Stand firm. Stand strong and use the rights that we've been given by the great creator, not by another man. This coming week is a great week to remember who we are and what our rights are. Memorial Day is on its way. Remember those people that gave it all. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for listening.